Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Honor is a choice we make, Father. Authority is what you have. Hallelujah. We thank you that we have a privilege to honor you in our lives through praise and worship. And with every heartbeat of our, of our lives, we worship you and we honor you. And we thank you that by doing so, we release the authority of the words of God, of the living God, into our lives. And we thank you for that, Lord. And so in I release words that you have declared through, the, through your own word of God. I release words that those that have ears to hear today will hear. Those that have hearts to receive will be ready to hear what God has to speak to their hearts. And I thank you, Father, not one word that is spoken by the Spirit of God today will return to you void or will not accomplish that which you send it out to accomplish. Thank you, Lord. And I give you honor in my vessel as I submit my vessel, my words, my lips, my thoughts, my emotions. I submit them to you today. I honor you with those parts of my vessel and I ask you to use this vessel through everything that will be said and done today and this weekend. I thank you for it, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Will you agree with me by saying amen? Amen. amen. You may be seated. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm glad that I'm here. I'm also glad that you're here. Because when you come, you bring your gift, you bring your spirit, you bring anointing. You bring it with you. If you will permit God, you bring it with you. If you ready yourself, you bring Him with you. And when we all come together with Him, you often, 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 more often than not, if you're in that prepared state, more often than not you will be ready to recognize His presence and recognize that He is with us and among us and He's working in us. Hallelujah. It is, a great, it is a great, great privilege for you and me. It is a great privilege for us to be able to be in a place where we can say that the living God lives within us. Every one of us is a great privilege. It is a price that Jesus paid for so that those 
who were not born into a heritage of the Jehovah God, that we could be reconciled to God through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. It is a great privilege. It is the reason why we are, we are speaking on relationships this weekend. And our primary relationship must be with God. He must consume us. He must control and have full say over our emotions, over our thought life, over every part of who we are. Certainly Jesus paid the price so that that could be so. Hallelujah. And He would not have paid that price if we couldn't be so. Hallelujah. Who, who wants to send their only son into a, and be in a position that he, that he was in to have to die for us so that we could... We could have what we're having now. What a great privilege and what a great honor. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. And so all the songs that we sang this morning are amazing because especially the last one because we honor Him with our worship. We honor Him with our worship. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Well, uh, if you weren't here last night, you need to be watching on YouTube or on our we website. But you need to be watching uh, what Pastor Sharon did last night. And you need to receive that into your life on an ongoing basis. It is the difference maker. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Well, in order for me to be able to uh, speak to you on the subject that God has given me today, um, and I'm going to be speaking on, on the restoration component of relationships, I have to just put it into context for you. I have to create a context. So... I'm going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. I'm reading it from the Amplified Bible. But understand this, verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days will come and it will be set in. It won't just be something that's it's just like, it's a little bit there. In the last days, it will be set in. Perilous times. Perilous times. If you haven't guessed it yet, or if you haven't seen it yet, we are living in perilous times. Of great stress and trouble. Trouble of the kind that's hard to deal with and hard to bear. Trouble. Stress and trouble. Stress and trouble. 
So, this is what is going to happen. And this, I believe, is what is happening now in the earth. Stress and trouble. Times that are hard to bear. For people, what's going to cause this stress? I've said this to you before. There are a lot of people that are saying that the world is changing because of climate change. They say that the weather patterns and, and everything that's happening in the earth is because of we humans are using cold-fire cold plants and we're driving petrol-driven engines which create fumes. That may have a very, very small contribution. Very small. But the biggest, the biggest contribution is actually this next verse. Why there is stress and troubles and hard to bear? Times that are hard to bear. Why? Because for people will be lovers of self. So you will... So people in the earth will love themselves and be utterly self-centered. Lovers of money and aroused by an inordinate greedy desire for wealth. This is what's going to cause stress and trouble and times hard to bear. Because... Uh, if, if you don't have money, you desire it. If you have some money, you want more. If you have lots of money, you don't know that you have enough, so you still want more. Because your money becomes your security. They will be lovers of money. That's what self-centered, self-love does. It makes you love money. And aroused by an inner greedy desire for wealth, Proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. In other words, they will boast, even if they don't say it out of their mouths, because that's just not politically correct. Even if they don't say it out of their mouths, in their heart, they will be contemptuous boasters. They will have contempt for God and His, and His people, and they will have contempt for people that don't portray the, self, the same self-centered behavior. Disobedient to parents. I'll tell you what, this is a rampant problem in the earth. And it's not created by the children. It's created by the self-centered lovers of self who have a greed and they want power and they want more wealth with their power. Um, they will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. They will be without natural human affection. That means callous and inhumane. They will, they will, they will make a decision, anything goes for me. As long as I'm not hurting anybody else, anything goes. You have a callous, you have no natural human affection. You become callous in your human affection, so anything is acceptable. Relentless, 
admitting no truce or appeasement. There will be no truce between what's happening in the world or appeasing Christians who love God. There will be no truce. I promise you, if you want to identify with the world and the system of the world and what the world is doing, you'll be in their camp. If you're not, there's no truce. And you will never do enough to appease them. Never. It's not possible. You can't put away your Christianity and say, I will appease them so I can win them. The only way that you win them is to actually not appease them. And to be a standard of the good news of the gospel. So, they will be slanderers, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate, and loose in morals and conducts, uncontrolled and fierce, haters of good. Wow. If you're a good doer, they'll hate you. I know, but Pastor John, all these people are starting, uh, there's the, you know, all these rich people, Bill Gates, uh, all of these people, they're starting, Oprah Winfrey, all these people, they start they use their money and they, they open foundations, they open schools, they donate to this, they get involved in free experimentation or donate to free experimentation for medication. Yeah, right. So they would, they look like, I mean, they will make it appear like uh, that they are okay. Just don't, don't touch my wealth and don't touch my prestige. They're haters of good. So even though they may appear like they're doing good, they're not. Because everything they do is to benefit them. Why? Well, because it was gonna, it's going to get known around the world. Oh, did you hear? Bill Gates. He gave a hundred million to a foundation that's helping people get the vaccine. Yeah, and what about the side deals that he did with all the, chem all, all the farmers, all the farmer people? Oh. At the very least, his name is in headlights. What a good guy he is. Self-centered. They will, be, uh, they will be treacherous, betrayers, rash, and inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures and vain amusements more than and rather than lovers of God. For although they may hold a form of piety, or they may have a form of what true religion looks like, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of God. True religion. Their conduct belies their genuineness of their profession or their confession, their declaration. Avoid all such people and turn away from them. 
So here's the context. The context that I'm ministering restoration in, into this morning, is the context is that we live in a world where people are so self-centered that anything goes. They, they, will be, they will betray. They will be people that are conceited. They are arrogant. They are, they are people that are just wanting to have everything for themselves. And so that doesn't just belong to wealthy people. That belongs, that, that title or this scripture refers to everybody that is self-centered and has a high opinion of themselves. Do you think we live in days like that right now? We do. I, I, made, this, I made mention of this last Sunday when I said, do you think Vladimir Putin just decided to invade Ukraine because the Ukrainians did something against him? No, he was he's self-conceited, self-centered in his ambition. And if anything gets in his way, he's going to do everything he can to stop it. Remove it and do what he wants to do anyway. I mean, you know, he changed, he changed the legislation of Russia so that he could institutionalize himself as a lifetime president of the, of the nation. So even though they hold elections every year, they're always rigged. Hallelujah. Okay. Right now, there is a move across the earth for a globalist mindset. In other words, there is a mindset that is in the world today amongst politicians and amongst economic, economically powerful and wealthy people. Quite famously, a speech by one of the wealthiest men and the chairman of the meeting of the annual coming together of wealth in Davos. He, this last time they met in Davos, he openly declared that we, the people that are here, the wealthy people, we have a chance to reset everything. So, what he was saying is, our wealth and our influence can reset everything to the way we think it should be. He almost said those words. One of the wealthiest men in the world is German. And he spoke as the kind of facilitator, the chairman of, of the conference that was held in Davos. There is, a, there is a global trend, there is a trend to globalize everything in the world. Why? Why would there be a trend to have a globalist agenda? Well, because if you have a globalist agenda, then everybody in every country is subject to what a few people decide the global agenda should look like. So then we all become serfs, servants of the agenda. Those are self-centered, self self-seeking, arrogant people who have a form of piety because they donate to the poor or they do some benevolent thing. And so they think they're all okay and they, they 
massage their, their conscience with their giving so that they can have more of what they want. And so that those people that want to attack them, they have a defense against the attack because look how many people we help. Right? And so we are also in a place and time, we are in a, in a place where if you're going to globalize everything, you're going to have to institutionalize everything. That means the institutions will run our lives. You know, it, there's, a, there's an old saying, corporations don't pay tax. People do. So when companies are taxed, the cost of the taxation is passed on to the consumer. There is no tax that is given that someone's not paying for it which means you and me. It's not companies, although companies submit tax returns. The cost of the tax is already in the product or in the service that they sell you. The cost of that tax is already there. And if you don't think so, just go and buy something and try and get your 15% back. The cost of that VAT is in the price that you pay. Because they're not going to give it to you and say, we'll be benevolent and pay the tax for you. They put the tax on the price. So, we are in a place where there is, a, in the context of this teaching, I have to talk to you about the institutions that are governing you and me. They are having a meaningful impact on the earth. So institutions are, for example, our constitution. Our constitution in South Africa is an institution because it's institutionalized through the courts. It's also institutionalized through unions. It's institutionalized through many different forms. So, Pastor John, I thought you were talking about relationships. I am. Just bear with me. If we allow ourselves to have a worldview that says we are prepared to live with the institution, then actually we become followers of institutions rather than followers of God. So, why would you do that? Well, Many people are deceived and they think that institutions are right. In fact, I can tell you that in Europe, very strongly in Europe and in America, this is, a, this is, you know, I'm talking about the European Union in particular, everything is institutionalized and actually the European Union government rules the governments of each country. Because they pass laws in the parliament of the European Union that impacts the whole of Europe. So the Europeans say, in the name of having a stable and better life, we open our borders, we share one common currency, and we will share, share one common government that will tell our governments that these are a basic set of framework and outlines that we must live by. We willingly submit to it. That's what they say in Europe. Come on. 
So then, then there's a group of people that rose up and say, no, we don't want to have that anymore. And that was the, the British government or the British people, actually. And so the British people basically forced a re referendum. And in that referendum, they voted to get out of the European Union. So that's why there was all this thing about Brexit and all that stuff. And so now England, or Great Britain actually, is no longer part of the European Union. Theoretically. But why did that happen? Because actually what people were saying was, you're telling us from a very far distance how we must live our lives, but actually where we live in our county or where we live in our village or where we live in our place, we want to have a say in the way that we live. Okay. Institution. You got, you got what I'm saying. The institutions want to run the world. So I'm going to just briefly tell you that European Union is an institution. Russia is an institution. It's run as an institution. North Korea, China, among many countries in the world, have an institution mentality. And so, the democracy that is America is under serious, serious threat of becoming part of that institution. If the Democratic Party stays in power, and I, I believe the prayers of the saints in America and our prayers, certainly, will prevent that from happening. But if the Democratic Party has to have another term of another president, just like President Biden, then America will become a socialist institution and no longer a capitalistic democracy. Again, why is this agenda so strong? It's so strong because it benefits a few people and it dominates every other, other groups of people. So you might, you might be at home, you might have a good job, you might have a good profession, you might be in a good place, you might earn enough money and you might be comfortable right now and you say, Pastor John, the things that you're talking about, they're not, they're not touching me. Uh, well, they are already. And I said last Sunday, they are because you're already paying so much more for your fuel. Our country is feeling it. The poorest of the poor feel it more than anybody else. Hallelujah. But God has a solution. And so, uh, the solution is restoration to Himself. The solution is that He has reconciled us to Him. Jesus is the answer. And therefore, by default, so is the church. The church is the answer. If the church knows what the church needs to do, if the church knows who the church is, then the church is the answer. Not the government and not the institutions. The church is the answer. So I have, to, I have to give you this context because when you hear the word of God at any given time from a messenger of God, when you are given the word of God, you have a filter 
You have a filter. You have a worldview filter. And that filter is already there because of institutions. So when you're hearing the Word of God, whether you are fully aware of it or not, you are filtering you're filtering the Word of God based on your view of institutions. Amen. Well, I'm going to use a rather, I'm going to use a rather very, very common thread, and I'm going to use sport as an example. If you have talent, if you have talent, the institution globally, the sports institution, they won't call themselves that, they'll call themselves a game. Yeah, that's why you can go and earn a hundred million by playing a game. No, if you're going to play the game because you've got talent, you've got People who are buying TV rights, they've got people who want advertising, they want people there, and so they're going to give you lots of money because you become a draw card for their institution. And so you might, have, you might want to make a career choice to pursue sport as a career to earn money, and you may do that, but be aware that what you're choosing is an institution. Yeah. Well, you might say to me, but Pastor John, is, it, is that not the case if I go to work every day and I work for a boss? Is, isn't that also an institution? And the answer is yes. If, if you value what the institution is for you more than what God is for you, then you are in the same boat. So God... In His mercy, and God, in His great love for us, has given us a way out. And He sent us Jesus, and we are now reconciled to the very life of God. Hallelujah. This is good news. But, as I speak to you this message today... And that's why I prayed the way I prayed when I started speaking. In this message I'm speaking to you today, you must be aware that institutions and the way that the world does things is impacting you. And so you have to make an active choice for God every day in everything you do. Okay, so... In bed or in red? Am I in bed with the institutions or am I covered in red by the blood of Jesus? If you'll go with me to Mark chapter 9, verse 17. This is Jesus. And Jesus is dealing with an institution. It's it was called the synagogue's or the institution of the law. Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, well, because he was teaching, Teacher, I brought you my son, 
who has a mute spirit. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So why would this man talk to his disciples? Because they already knew how to cast out devils. They had done it before. And they were continuing to do it under the guidance of Jesus. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, O faithless generation, how could he call, how could he be speaking to a whole generation because of this one man? Because he was a symbol of an institution that couldn't solve a problem. Come on. He was a representative, a symbol of an institution, a law, a religion that couldn't solve a problem. Even his disciples couldn't solve this problem. Oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? In other words, he's already speaking, when I go, you need to be able to do this. How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to Jesus, to him. And when he saw him, I want you to just see what it says there. They brought him to him, small h, to him. The boy, to him. Capital H, Jesus. And when he, little boy, possessed by the demon, saw him, him saw him. The little him saw the big him. Hey? He saw him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. And he, the boy, fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. Same symptoms. But this time, there was a recognition of authority in the house. So watch what happens next. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? I think Jesus didn't know. You think the full operation of the gifts of the, of the Holy Spirit were not operating through Jesus? You don't think that the gift of the word of knowledge wasn't operating through Jesus? That he knew how long this had been happening? So why did he ask the question? He asked that Jesus never asked anything or did anything for, for no purpose. Everything he did had a purpose. So why does he ask him, how long has he been this way? Do you think Jesus is looking for information? Or do you think he's wanting words to come out so that he can address what the words represent? So if you bear with me, we've got a weekend of teachings to get through. All right. This is all going to be very good by tomorrow, end of church service. 
How long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him. He, little boy, has thrown him himself into the fire. Both into the fire and into water to destroy him. Uh. Okay. I have to let the cat out the bag here before I go any further. Why am I talking about this? Because depending on who you relate to will be dependent on what your life looks like. And if you think that serving an institution will not cause you so much stress and so much trouble that you might want to end your life by fire or by water or any other means. You are wrong. Because at some point the stress and the trouble will be too hard for you to bear. And if you don't have Jesus as your answer, then you've got no way to turn. This is about your relationship with either a system or your relationship with God. And if you choose to have a relationship with God, the next thing happens. So, he asks the father. So, the, the father keeps on saying, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help him. So, why is he saying, if you can help? Well, he already asked the disciples and they couldn't help. So, now, he's questioning authority. <laughs> Let me tell you, the greatest, the greatest weapon in the enemy's arsenal in the modern day world, anyway for the last hundred years at least, if not the last 4,000 years, has been get offended or, or, or observe the lack of authority and power in the disciples. Because if I don't see the authority and power in the disciple, what makes me think that the author that is in, of the disciples can do any different? That's why he was questioning, if you can do anything. If you can do anything. I want you to remember this question, if you can do anything. If you can do anything, I ask you to be aware of your thought process and I ask you to be aware of your emotions and I'm asking you to be aware of your words and you find out how many times you think or you feel or you say anything that is in line with if God can do anything. Or it might come like this, can God fix this thing? Can God do this for me? The next word is, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you believe. 
you can even overcome the question of can, if you can do anything. If you believe. So Jesus is demonstrating, in the next sentence, demonstrates his belief. He doesn't wait for the Father to tell him whether he believes or not. He already knows the Father is in doubt. Because the Father already asked him, if you can do anything. So he's not saying to his Father, if you believe, then I'll act. He's saying, if you believe anything is possible, I believe. How does he say that? The next thing he says, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Jesus already knew he had unbelief. So he didn't know what measure of belief he had. He didn't know. So he's saying, Lord, I believe, but I know I have unbelief. Help my unbelief, please. The compassion and the mercy of God for anybody who cries and says, I believe, Lord, but I have unbelief in many things. The compassion of God works. When Jesus saw the people came running together, so now there's this thing happening with Jesus and all of the people that were observing this thing because here's this boy foaming at the mouth, wallowing right in front of Jesus. We just got reading that. So this, he didn't stop when the conversation was happening with his father. This thing was happening in front of Jesus while Jesus is having a conversation with his father. And so this is attracting a crowd. Because this boy is, is manifesting, but actually there's nothing going on here other than he's manifesting. But this is a strange occurrence. So people are drawn to strange occurrences. Uh, and if you become a believing person that says, Jesus, help me with my unbelief, things will begin to start to happen to you. That would be strange occurrences. That will draw a crowd. But Jesus doesn't want the devil to get the attention. So when he sees the crowd coming, he immediately speaks to the devil. That is uh, destroying this young man's life. Immediately, so when Jesus saw the people that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. He saved this boy's life for, this boy's future for life because he knew that if he didn't say, enter him no more, he would come back with more like him. So he casts him out and he says, enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly. Let me tell you, when the truth comes and authority presents itself, the devil's not going to try and let go of what stranglehold he has of your life 
lightly. Convulsions will happen. And there will be an extreme reaction to it. He cried out and convulsed greatly, but he had no choice but to come out of him. And he became as one dead. Such, so great was the, the force of this demonic oppression in this young boy's life, this young man's life, so great was it that when the spirit left him, it appeared as though he was dead. So, so weak was his humanity. So, I am about to make a declaration to you. And the declaration is this, that as God restores relationships, the enemy and people around will start to cry out. And there will be convulsions. But I say to you, do not let the crying out and the convulsions, do not let them be the end game. You got to wait in faith so restoration can happen. I'm going to finish this and I'm going to come back to this point. So he lay as one dead, so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. So Jesus realizes this boy's body is now in a weakened state because the devil has oppressed him so long. So he reaches down with the love and life force of God that drove that demon out. And as he touches him, life comes into him. And he is restored. And he arose. And when he came into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And so he said, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So is there any evidence that Jesus was fasting at that moment? No, but Jesus lived a life where he fasted regularly. And he was fasting and praying regularly. So the authority that he came and that he was walking in that he was declaring to people is that even though my spirit man is perfect as a submitted human being, I have to go and pray and fast. And in the state of prayer and fasting, my authority comes with everything that I do. And so, relationships, I, we, 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 I was with Pastor Sharon up here last night and I, and I said it a little bit. The, the, God is a relational God. And he, He's so relational that He sent His Son to die so that He could restore, He could restore us back to Him. All of humankind through Jesus. He never ever wanted us to be separated. He never ever wanted a law to come between us and Him. He always wanted to have a relationship, fellowship. Hallelujah. And so, nothing, this doesn't come out by prayer and fasting. So why are we fasting this weekend? 
in a relationship weekend? Because there are some things in your life that have deep roots. Deep, deep roots that you don't even know where those roots are or what kind of roots they are. You just know your behavior pattern keeps happening, keeps happening. And as your behavior pattern keeps happening, you don't know how to deal with it. You are constantly being thrown to the ground and convulse. In relationships, you find people all over the world find themselves, they can't stay married. Then they want to live together with people so they don't want to get married every time because their relationships fail so they live together. And the pattern is happening all the time. I'm here with good news today to you and to those watching by camera or by digital media. I've got good news for you. Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. And the relationships that have been destroyed and are continually under oppression because we live in times hard to bear, Jesus is ready to restore them. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus is ready to restore them. Number one, he's ready to restore you to him. That's the first relationship and the one that's most important. So, but Pastor John, I'm attending your church. I've been here a long time. I know all the stuff that you're talking about. But still, God has chosen this year to restore relationships. Why? Because there's still roots and baggage in our lives that keep us from going to the highest place with God. Having that free, open place with God where you could worship Him. What kind of convulsions, what kind of convulsions do you experience convulsing your life? What kind of convulsions do you, do you experience? What kind of stress, what kind of trouble do you experience? Where the devil will just keep throwing you down, keep throwing you down, keep throwing you down. Just as soon as you think your life's normal, there's a throwdown that happens. It could be, in your own mind, I'm not worthy to be having this kind of relationship with God. It could be that. That is a very common thing where the devil has a throwdown. Oh, you think you can pray now this morning? Or you can come before God this morning? What did you do last night? Oh, well, I drank three bottles of wine. And I woke up with a headache today. And I'm not talking to you. I'm talking in general. You can still wake up in the morning and say, this throwdown thing no longer controls my life. I no longer receive this convulsion. I declare and I command this convulsing spirit to leave my life. It could be that there is shame in your life because of things that you have done that maybe some people know of, maybe they don't. Maybe it's just a shame to you. And the devil uses it as a continuous throwdown. Maybe it's insecurity. Maybe it's a desire to always be recognized and accepted and you have a need for acceptance because 
You don't want to have this feeling of rejection. There's many things that happen in people's lives. Maybe you have questions about how can it be fair that things happen to people that are bad. It could be many, many things where the devil uses throw-down tactics to wrestle you to the ground and keep you from getting up. And the, and the most deceptive tactic that the devil uses, if he can't get you to be on your own, is that he will, he will make you believe in the institutions. So that the institutions become your focus. So I'm here to say to you that Jesus, even to his disciples, Jesus had an answer for them when they asked him. He gave them the answer. How to deal with this thing in the future. I believe, I believe with all my heart that God is about, is about us, He's amongst us, He's working in us, that He is restoring us back to Himself. And He is restoring us to each other. Hallelujah. What I'm, what I'm speaking about this morning is no small matter. This is a big thing. Because God is a relational God. And He sent Jesus because He wants to restore relationship with Jesus. And I'm going to talk on Monday, morning, on Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, I've got some things I want to say to you. And I'm going to, I'm going to teach you some things and it's going to, we're going to have communion at the end of our service on Sunday. But... Uh, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. But you know, there was a veil that was set up to prevent anybody from entering into the Holy of Holies. There was a strong veil that was set there. Because if you, if you went into the Holy of Holies and you were not worthy, you just died. We have a veil. It's called the blood of Jesus. And the veil of the tabernacle has been replaced by the veil of the blood. And if you will live in the holiest place behind the veil of the blood, then what's out there in the world cannot penetrate the veil of the blood. And I don't want to preach Sunday's message now. I thank God that Jesus dealt with this deaf and, and dumb, this mute and deaf spirit and cast him out of that boy's life. And so, with the authority of the Holy Spirit and with the authority of the gift that God has called me to stand in, I command this morning, right now, in the name of Jesus, 
any spirit that is harassing you, any devil, any demon, anything that comes against you from time to time, that brings depression, that brings stress, that brings trouble, that brings all manner of things that come against you. I declare and I command in the name of Jesus, devils, you come off God's people. I command in the name of Jesus, those people that are outside of your circle harassing you, I command in the name of Jesus, that harassment may not penetrate the blood of Jesus. The veil that is set around you, the power of the Holy Spirit, I say in the name of Jesus, be free. In the name of Jesus, be free. In the name of Jesus, be free. Hallelujah. Are we not in a fasting prayer weekend this weekend? Then this, this type must come out with our prayers and our fasting. It must come out in the name of Jesus. Those systems that are oppressing relationships and oppressing your relationship with Jesus and keep on preventing you from making progress, it leaves now in the name of Jesus. It may not remain on you or in your life, and it may never enter back into your life in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Notice, Jesus didn't say that to the boy. He said it to the spirit that was in the boy. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the spirits that are harassing you. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, marriages, are on, marriages often are on the point of breaking. There are moments where marriages can, can make a big decision in a moment, can affect the whole outcome of a marriage. And then people are left with doubts, and they're left with all kinds of thoughts about the future of their lives. And then that thing comes an oppressive thought that controls you. I want to tell you, I know what I'm talking about. I've had to deal with a devil that harassed me for many years. I, I took authority over the, that thought. I took authority over it. But one day, one day, just one day, it became too much for me to bear. And so I spoke words to Pastor Sharon. And in the life and the light and the love of God, that thing left me. It never came back. It never came back. Never. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Praise you, Lord. I need some water, please, MP. How are you guys all doing? Are you doing good? You know, I don't, I don't want you to uh, fall asleep on me. Or am I preaching too good for that? Come on, let's stand for a minute, please. We do have lunch, right? Some form of lunch. Miranda? Tomorrow. tomorrow. Oh, it's tomorrow. It's tomorrow. Thank you. 
Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. Let's just give thanks to God for what He has done here already this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. While you're standing, I want to tell you that the prayer that I've prayed includes all manner of sexual sin. Past and present. Sexual sin. Misbehavior. Misconduct. That spirit that harasses people through sin of sex outside of the purity of the marriage bed. It is broken in your life. It may not come back and enter again in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That was by the, by the Spirit of God why I needed to wait a moment because I needed to take authority over that. That thing that is driving, that there's a spirit out in the world that's driving pornography. There's a spirit out there in the world that's driving all manner of transgender, sexuality, all manner of, I don't know what kind of sex I was born to be and what kind of sex I must have now. It's, it's designed to confuse you and to distract you and to cause all manner of problems in maybe not you, but people around you that you know. And so I spoke under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and declare that all of those sex spirits out there that are driving a sexual agenda outside of the Word of God, it doesn't come near you. It is bound in your life now in the name of Jesus and it may not enter back, may not come back. You know, that... that that sex spirit is a spirit of idolatry. It wants you to worship the pleasure of body more than to worship God. It's an idol. It's, it's idolatry. And uh, he will have no other God before him in your life. Hallelujah. If that harassing spirit comes back to you and causes you to want to behave in a way that you shouldn't be behaving, you just say, you may not enter anymore. You may not enter anymore. You may not enter anymore. It is broken. The power of that thing that wants you to worship the pleasure of body more than God, it is broken. In Jesus' name. It is broken in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to Jesus. God meant sexual intimacy and sexual pleasure to be beautiful and amazing, fantastic, special with you and your partner. Maybe you have a continual throwdown 
because you may not want to have that intimacy because it takes work for you to be intimate. And so you stay away from your partner, make, make excuses, and so then you don't have intimacy for a long time. So that it only becomes just enough, just enough, just enough. These are words all coming out of my spirit right now, by the Holy Spirit. So that it's just enough. It's just enough. And I'm telling you now, in the name of Jesus, this thing that this spirit, this devil has gone out of your life because it's, it's the same thing that wants to cause a gap between you and your husband and or your wife so that you only have sex that's just enough. And so, maybe you don't like sex physically. Maybe you don't like sex. That's not a reason not to have sex. Sex in the marriage bed is not an option. It's a commandment. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, you may not withhold your bodies from each other. It's a commandment. It's not a moment of, I'm ready for it now. I'll tolerate it now. It's designed to bring and represent the intimacy that you can have with God himself. Well, Pastor John, if you put it like that, I'm going to... Okay, you can sit down. I started to preach so good, you would have stood forever. But this is the Holy Spirit speaking. Because if the enemy of God can bring a gap through sex in a marriage, then he can widen that gap. And he can, he can put a truck between you. What does that truck look like? It looks like I'm too busy working to make money. I've got too much pressure at work. I've got all these kids I have to deal with. And I've got all these responsibilities. I don't have time for sex. Oh, such stress in my life. Trouble. So much time to consume my thoughts. And I'm in such a mess most of the time. Because I don't have time to get myself ready to be ready. That is the institution of the world system that says when you're young and you're newly married, you can enjoy sex until the kids come. And when the kids come, then you've got to, you've got to kind of deal with whatever can happen or not happen whenever it can happen. And maybe it happens once a year or once uh, this or whatever. But I'll tell you what, God didn't give you a choice. He said, you may not withhold each other. How long is that? He says, while you're fasting. In other words, you are permitted to ask your partner if you can abstain from sexual intimacy while you're fasting. How long can you fast for? 
Well, Pastor John, if it's a command, then, you know, uh, it feels like uh, there's no spontaneity in it. And we, you know, we only want to have sex when it's spontaneous. And for you young people that are not married yet, you can learn while I'm talking for what's to come. So if sex is not spontaneous, then it's not nice sex. How did I get here? The Holy Spirit brought me here. I had no intention of speaking like this today. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Well, then, if it's not spontaneous, and so then, okay, you have no time for spontaneity. Because everything is process, process, life, life, work, work, achieve, achieve. Da, 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 da. I've got too many things to think about. You want to have sex, and I'm talking hundreds of millions and billions, and, and I'm talking about budgets for my company, for our lives. I'm talking about, look, running short of money. I'm under stress. I can't have sex. Or maybe it's the wife that says, you don't provide enough. I must give, now we must have sex. Well, I don't feel like it. I'm stressed out because we don't have money. We're getting further into debt. I'm stressed out, so we can't have sex. So what does the Bible say? I think you want me to read it to you. <laughs> I think you want me to read it to you. Because then you can hear it from the Bible exactly as it's, as it's written. First Corinthians chapter 7. Verse 3, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights. You know what conjugal means? Sex. You mean women have sex rights? Yes. Why would a woman have the right to demand sex? They don't have the same urges as men. Because it's not just about the physical act, it's about the intimacy. And it's about obedience to God's word, so that the intimacy is a protection against other things. Intimacy is also something that you can take with you into the presence of God, because you experience it. Not because it's necessarily pleasurable, but because it must be so. Because if people say, I don't like sex, I've never liked sex, and so we don't have sex that much often in marriage, you need to, you need to. Okay, I'll read it out of the Message Bible too. Thank you. I'm reading out of the Amplified and I will do so, but I'll also read it out of the, the, the Message. Pastor Sharon wants me to do that. And I, I, I got you, babe. I thought you were going to come and ask me for conjugal rights, and I thought, <laughs> tomorrow morning, I'm on. <laughs> Say she was going to be at band practice at half past seven or eight o'clock in the morning. 
So, the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights, goodwill, kindness, and what is due her as his wife, and likewise her wife as a husband, for, to her husband. For the wife does not have exclusive authority and control over her own body. But the husband has the rights. Am I reading the Bible? If it's, you can't just cherry pick what scriptures you want to obey in the Bible. Oh, I like the prosperity stuff, Pastor John. I like the healing stuff, Pastor John. I even like the relationship, but don't touch my marriage bed stuff. Because, ish. Or maybe you're in a place, preach it, preach it. Just don't nudge your partner. <laughs> Just let me do the preaching. So the wife does not have control over her own body, or, or how does the Bible say it? Authority and control over her own body, but the husband has his rights. Likewise, also the husband does not have exclusive authority and control over his body, but the wife has her rights. Do not refuse and deprive and defraud each other of your marital rights, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may, be, may devote yourself unhindered to prayer. But afterwards, resume marital relationships, lest Satan tempt you to sin though your lack of through your lack of restraint or sexual desire. So, I'm going to read. Which, which scripture do you want me to read here? But you, you put it on verse 15. Oh, okay. I'll scroll. First Corinthians seven. I was reading from verse three. <clears throat> okay. I say this as bluntly as I can to wake you up to the stupidity of what you're doing. That's not the scripture. Okay, I've got it now. I got it now. Sorry, babe. Okay, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife and the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. This doesn't mean that you are sexually satisfied or unsatisfied. This means the act of what you're doing satisfies what God requires marriage to do. So, marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve 
the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you, if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purpose of prayer and fasting, but only for such times. Then come back together again. Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. Huh. Thank you. Okay. You want me to read more? Yeah, yeah, it could be. I'll, yeah, it is. Okay, I'll do it. Okay, I'll just keep reading then. I'm not command, I'm not, I'm not, understand, commanding these periods of abstinence, only providing my best counsel if you should choose them. Sometimes I wish everyone was single like me, a, a simpler life in many ways, but celibacy is not for everyone any more than marriage is. God gives the gift of the single life to some, the gift of the married life to others. I can't find it in this verse. Hallelujah. Restoring relationships. Hey, if I can restore good sex life. Everybody be should, should be saying amen right about now. Well, it's certainly the married people. The unmarried people say amen for the future marriage person. Hallelujah. So, okay, what about if the woman's going through menopause? Ah, sheesh, my body's so all over the place, hormones, whatever, I don't feel like it. Pastor Sharon has a very good saying. She says, don't put your men on pause when you go into menopause. Those were Pastor Sharon's words. She's preaching from the front row. <laughs> it's no excuse. The Bible doesn't, Paul doesn't give exceptions here. So if you're asking how often should we have sex, I'm not going to tell you. But if you can fast and stay away from food, I don't want to see skinny people walking around the church. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm fasting, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. Why? <laughs> what happened to you? You were so healthy and now you're just so skinny. 
ask for permission, but I, <laughs> I have to keep fasting here. So, let me tell you what Pastor Sharon and I have learned out of this in our lives, that if we obey the Word of God and we recognize that we do not keep our bodies from each other because of the way we feel, but we make a decision that we will have intimacy because God said so. I know some people are going to say, but that seems so calculated. You know, it seems so like... Uh, a rule that you must obey. In the beginning it might feel like that. But if you keep obeying God, it's like everything. It becomes part of your life and then it becomes good. You found it's good. It's, it's, it's in the same chapter, but it says here, there's more to sex than mere skin on okay. skin. Okay. It's very powerful. It was exactly what you were saying. Okay. So here's the scripture. Stay here, my back, so I can give you your phone back once I'm finished reading. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. There we go. So that is 1 Corinthians 6 verse 16 in the Message Bible. It's spiritual as much as it is physical. So some older people might be listening to this. And you say, yes, you know, we're a bit older now. We haven't had sex in a long time. We don't even know what it's like. Well, find out again. Good preaching, Pastor Sharon. <laughs> Why did I get you? Because it's one of those throwdown tactics that the devil has and bring convulsions in your life because sex is either in order or it's out of order or there's a sex spirit that's working in your life that's trying to either prevent you from having what you should be having or disobeying the Word of God. Maybe you haven't had intimacy for such a long time, you don't know what it's like. Well, if you did it once before, you can do it a second time. Hopefully you haven't even just done it once in your life. But <laughs> If you were in the practice of it once before, you can get into the practice of it again. Yeah, but it's going to be very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. So what? There are some physical things that happen in a woman's body that I'm not going to talk about, just in case you got worried for a minute. <laughs> but if, if there are things that are happening in a woman's body that make it uncomfortable for you, get medical help. Find, find the condition of what's, why is it uncomfortable for you physically. Sometimes it can just be a simple choice. 
go to the chemist. Make it a bit easier. I'm being very careful here. I believe the Holy Spirit has said something today and He's made sure that an order is coming today because He's restoring relationships. Hallelujah. So what if my husband is uh, so demanding that I can't keep up with his desires? Well, you've got a much more powerful partner in Jesus and the Holy Spirit than his desire. But there is a part that men can play. And that, men, that what men can play is you must live with, as it says in the book of Peter, men, you must live with your wives with understanding. A woman's body doesn't react the same way that a man's does. So you have to live with her with understanding. At the very least, you should be having conversations about it. Don't keep it in the closet. Lock it and throw the key away. That skeleton will rattle. That skeleton will convulse. That skeleton will convulse and it will become its own throwdown. I pray, Heavenly Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that this that you've had me speak, this word that you've had me declare right now, I pray in the name of Jesus that this power of this word penetrates the hearts of every person that needed to hear that and that it sets in order, sets in line and it becomes the order of God in their lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise you, Lord. If you've been married a very short time, it's normal to want to have sex a lot. If you've been married a long time, it's normal that sometimes responsibility of life gets in the way. If you're going to have understanding about this thing, you've got to keep talking about it. And I have now, by the Holy Spirit, given you permission by the Word of God to talk about it. And you need to have a conversation. And say, if we want to obey all the Word of God, we need to obey this Word so that we can get the benefits that God's got for us through this Word. What's, what's another benefit? The benefit is that if you... So, I, I, I can't preach, again, I can't preach and teach on re restoration of relationships if I don't talk about closing the gap. And so, if you can't close the gap with intimacy, then you are not going to be closing the gap on many things in your life with God. Because if you can't obey that word, if you're married, 
then what other word are you going to choose to obey the way you feel like you can choose to obey it? It's a bit quiet in this place now. It's a bit quiet. It's a bit quiet. But I'm preaching real good. I'm preaching real truth here. But Pastor John, you don't understand words have been exchanged between, between me and my partner. Things have happened in our marriage. Things that have broken trust. Things that have caused abuse. Things that have done many things. Well, if that's still plaguing you, then let, let spiritual leaders come and help you with it. First of all, go to the Holy Spirit and the Word and ask Him to help you. But then come and get help. Don't stay away from it because these things are still in you. Because then you're allowing offense or you're allowing someone's past or you're allowing something to abuse to still be happening to you. Even though it may not be happening to you on the outside, it may be happening to you on the inside. Then you've got to get free of what's happening on the inside so you can obey God on the outside. God has an answer for every problem in His Word. Praise Jesus. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, I'm, I, I feel like I'm done and we're going to have a bit of a break now because I've got a little bit more to preach about this today. Are you, are you good with this? Or? Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah, while I'm talking about sex, carry on as long as you want to, Pastor John. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> I don't know, but... You know, if your marriage gets to a place where right in the beginning you were having sex as, you know, so many times, this often, whatever, whatever, now you've had children. I mean, you know, I had to live with Pastor Sharon with understanding because there was a time when she was breastfeeding kids. And, I mean, you've got to live with understanding for a period of time. I mean, even then, as a woman, you don't have to abstain. But I'm just saying there are some things where you have got to have some understanding. Huh? You've got to have some understanding. But as a general rule, you can't let those things interfere with everything you're doing in your life. Ha. Huh. One last thing about sex. The biggest lie that the devil will bring to you is a, is a lie that is institutionalized in humankind. It is a lie of the devil. And the lie is that you have to perform in bed so that your partner has ultimate pleasure before it's considered good. And so performance in bed is the biggest problem that brings a gap between people. So that's why I said... You don't have to have sex all the time because you like it. 
If you don't want your kids to hear what I'm saying, you can take them from the room. I'm being careful what I'm saying here. But I believe God has got to have me keep pressing this. Hallelujah. Because He wants to restore some things. He wants to restore, restore relationships. So, Woman, you don't feel like it, eh? I don't feel like it. So how do I close the gap with my husband? It's much easier for a woman to do this, by the way, most often. Most often it's much easier for a woman to do this for, than a man. But for a woman, you make a date. Pastor Sharon just said it jokingly now, but what she just did is, is real. You can just say, make a date. Husband, you and me, bed tonight. Friday night, tomorrow night, whatever night, whatever morning, whatever time of the day, there's kids or no kids or whatever, you know, go home for lunch. <laughs> if you can. Why? Well, there's no kids at home. Oh, but I'm busy, I've got all these mind things and I've got all this business. You make a commitment, you stick with your commitment. Tomorrow night, husband, you watch that husband spark. It's like, hey. Hey. Been missing out on some things here, but tomorrow night... And husbands, and I'll tell you what, if you as a woman, if you just let your husband know, you let him know, listen, I'm not letting a week go by that you and I don't have this. Well, why do I say a, a week? Well, you can fast for a week. If you do it too often, though, you're going to get skinny. Or your body's going to react in unnatural ways if you don't have food and nutrition you know, properly. So, I mean, all kinds of things. You can get diabetes. You can, I mean, I'm just saying. I don't want people to misunderstand my words here because of the subject that I'm talking about today. <laughs> but if, if you're, you know, if you're in that space where it, this is the way it must be, then don't let a week go by. It's like the Bible says, don't let the sun set on your wrath or your anger. Get it out so that you can have a peaceful night and you can start the new day with a fresh, with a fresh slate. It's like that with intimacy too. You make a plan, you make a time, you stick with it, you go for it. And so actually it might be something that you do and you might, you might actually have this conversation and listen, I'm being obedient to the word of God, yeah, husband. I don't know how my body's going to react to this. But I'll make it as fun for you as I can. And all the men said, Amen. Amen. 
and the men. Don't allow yourself to become so egotistical that, you know, I've got to make this happen for you. And if it doesn't happen for you, then we don't have this thing happening. And I'm not going to do this until it happens for you. That's a lie of the devil. He's trying to prevent you from having intimacy. Because if you come with the right approach, I'm doing it because I love God and I love you. And I don't want this to be because I have pleasure or I don't have pleasure. I want to have this because we have pleasure in doing the Word of God and being intimate and we are doing this thing. Already things will change in the atmosphere in your life. And you shut the door on the devil bringing temptations in all manner of ways. Let me tell you, people compensate for this thing in many different ways. They go and spend money they shouldn't spend because they're compensating. They make friends with other people that they shouldn't be making friends with because they're compensating. And so this idolatry sex thing has got everybody warped in their way of thinking about how often and how it should be done and when and when not. And, and I shouldn't get married because sex was good when we weren't married or, or it's better when you're not married because that's what the world will say. And I say, the world does not know. They do not know how to have intimacy. They only know how to have carnal sex. Because the life of God is not in them to help them and to be present in their marriage bed. You mean God's there? If He's in you, He's there too. And He's not scorned to be there. Because He made it. And if you're not married, stay away from it because it will ruin what you're going to have in marriage. God can overcome that and repentance and forgiveness and all of that stuff can work for you. But still, you're going to have to work with the Word of God so that if it's happened outside of marriage, you're going to have to overcome thoughts and things inside your marriage. But the good news is that I took authority over that thing today. And you can be free of whatever is plaguing you. Convulsions and throwdowns and all foaming at their mouth happens. To try and prevent you from closing the gap between each other. Pastor Sharon, I started, started doing this kind of thing. And we started with this language. Babe, it's time to close the gap. It's time to close the gap here. There's a gap widening. It's responsibility of life. It's whatever. We haven't made time for each other. We've got to close the gap here. Because otherwise the gap widens. And it widens. And it gets longer. And fewer. And everything. And then all manner of compensation happens. Because we were designed by God to have this. May the restoration begin. May the restoration begin. Some of you that live in Whitbank, lunch is an hour and a half. Please, stay in the building. 
You watch all these cars. Where are you going? We just booked the BMB. <laughs> so, so be it. <laughs> That's what it takes, so be it. Come on. I've just, the Holy Spirit and the truth of God has just delivered you from all kinds of manner of wrong thinking, oppressive, convulsive, foaming at the mouth stuff. And it's liberated you to walk in a relationship where you close the gap and you, God will restore your relationship in intimacy and sex like, he, like you can't even think is going to happen. If you will obey Him, it will happen. He will restore you. He will reignite you. He will fire that intimacy in you. And then you'll find out what it does for your walk with God if you're married. It's powerful. It's glorious. And it's designed to be a representation of that intimacy. Huh. So... I haven't spoken this directly in a long while, but today you got unfiltered pastor. Unfiltered pastoring. The shepherd, the good shepherd of the Holy Spirit, unfiltered love towards you today. It's not rated, it's just unfiltered. If you want a rated session, Pastor Sharon, I can do that for you. But the kids have got to stay at home. But you've got the Holy Spirit in you to help you. Because everybody has their own thing. And our thing is not your thing. You've got to work it out for yourself. Hallelujah. Jesus. What did you do through me today? Thank you, Jesus. I had, no, I had no intention of going here today. I've got my next scripture, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. <laughs> Ask them at the back, I sent them my notes this morning, is my next scripture not Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd? Well, I can go there, I shall not want. I shall not want, I shall not lack. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> because I was going to get to the part of He restores my soul. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to still preach on this next session, but, uh, but I'll tell you what, if you do this, your soul will get restored. Your soul will be restored. Praise the Lord. Well, I was still going to preach for another half an hour or so, but I think I'm done. I think the Holy Spirit has kind of dragged some things out of me today that I had no... I, yeesh. This is the kind of thing I go back into my lounge and I say to Sharon, what have I done today? <laughs> In my soul. 
But in my spirit, I know this is what God wanted to say. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. I will, I will just say to the unmarried people, I want to say to you that if you, if you make godly choices about your partner and you, and you allow this message to be part of your go forward in your life, you will not have to be performance orientated in your sex. You will become intimacy orientated in everything that you do. And then you will find that what God will do with the sex will be supernatural. So that your enjoyment will be both physical, spiritual, and in your soul you will find peace. But don't go to the world and ask them how to have sex. Because they won't, they don't know how. They only know how to have carnal pleasure. And that's, that's, uh, is, it, it, it has no end to its demand for satisfaction. Because you've got to keep trying something new all the time keep trying something new to be satisfied otherwise it just becomes the same old thing but if you do it in God every time you do it you have intimacy in God it becomes a powerful force in your life Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor Sharon, come stand here with me, please. I'm going to close with, I'm going to close with this now. Just come stand here with me, please. Come up the stairs, baby. So I'm... I brought Pastor Sharon up here so that we can be in agreement because we've spoken about this a number of times. But God brought it out today. I had no intention of speaking about this. But in our agreement, I want to pray for you right now. And I pray, and we speak over your life, the order of God in your intimacy, in your intimacy in the marriage bed. The order of God and the blessing of God and the power of God's joy in your intimacy. I also release in the name of Jesus, as the two of us are standing together, I release the power and the blessing of God to work this message into your lives. That you may receive it with the wisdom and the understanding that's personal to you. And that the enemy will not come in and distract and bring all manner of bad thoughts, old thoughts, old ideas, that from this moment you go new in God going forward. And the anointing that is on our marriage, the blessing that is on our marriage, the price that we've paid, the press that we've made, the decisions we've made on behalf 
for ourselves, but God told us, our obediences that we gave to Him, God told us that those that come under the anointing of our marriage, if they will receive what's gone on in our marriage, you will have that anointing, you will have that blessing, you will have that peace upon you. And so we speak it over you in the name of Jesus. And if you're not married and you're single, you can get this message and you can believe for this in your relationship. In the future. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And even as we, I mean, even as we are pressing for more, we pray that the more comes to you. And we pray in the name of Jesus that all of the learnings we've had to learn, all of the pressing in the Word of God and the decisions and the obediences that we have to give, that you won't have to do all of that, that you have a jump start, you have a springboard from our relationship, that it becomes easy for you to flow in this. Joyful, easy, peaceful. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Sharon and I, we have made a commitment. We, won't, we, we know we're not perfect, but we will speak the truth as we see it, according to the Word of God. And I have not spoken one thing today that's not in the Bible. Be blessed. 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 Married couples. Hallelujah. Be gentle and be kind. And be blessed. And be joyful. Hallelujah. Amen. Won't you all stand with me, please? What time are we meeting? One o'clock. One o'clock. Ah, who knows what God's going to do at one o'clock. But praise the Lord. May, you, may your time over this period of time. I, I just want to say, I, I say in the name of Jesus that there's no shame in any of the, any things that you have made choices in their past. Put that shame behind you. Don't let the devil come and lie to you. Put any guilt behind you in Jesus' name. Put any, any, anything, performance things, condemnation things, uh, words, arguments, fights, strife, jealousies, envies, all manner of things, put it behind you in Jesus' name. Do not let it be and continue to be part of your life. Put it away. Put it behind you. Make a de conscious decision that I'm pressing in with God on this matter. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And don't, don't have conversations where you get into strife about this again. If you're going to have conversations about this, have them with gentleness, as Pastor Sharon was crying, with kindness, understanding each other. And if you, and if you struggle with it, I'm going to give you a tip. Go, go and sit in a room or lie in your bed, switch the lights off, if you have to, if it's difficult for you, switch the lights off and talk to each other. Sometimes the gap can be so wide that you don't know how to bridge that gap. Yeah. And you don't know how to start having the conversation. Yeah. So 
sometimes it's easier to just go in and switch the light off and talk. Say, hey, these are the feelings that the devil has brought to me. These are the things that I've been struggling with. Or maybe you can just say, let's struggle no more. Let's, let's make a decision of how we're going to go forward. But talk about it. Talk about it by the Holy Spirit in the Holy Spirit so that it becomes a greater, more meaningful part of your life. Hallelujah. Well, I know I preached good because the Holy Spirit did it today. If you have any other que if you have questions about this, don't ask me. <laughs> ask Pastor Sharon. <laughs> no. If you have any questions, yeah. please send them send them uh, if you need to. Send them somehow. I don't know how. But uh, maybe you can do a letter that's just unsigned, put it in an envelope, give it to somebody that gives it to somebody that gives it to me. Maybe I can even ladies meeting and I you can have a men's meeting yeah we can have a men's meeting and a ladies meeting and then there can be questions and then there can be questions in the meantime enjoy your lunch enjoy your lunch I love you we love you <laughs>